Welcome, my name is Jason Opino. I'm the Director of Teaching and Learning at Medicine Hat College, and this is the Tool Crib. Chad, do you want to talk a little bit about what the Tool Crib is and uh, what we're going to talk about today? Definitely. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, this. my name is Chad Flynn. I'm the Dean of Trades and Technology here at Medicine Hat College. And the, dual, the Digital Tool Crib is an idea that I've kind of had and I've seen a friend of mine actually ran something very similar at Vancouver Island University's Sally Vinden. And what we find with trades instructors is oftentimes professional development events at the colleges don't really fit the schedule to the TVET instructors. Their times are at a different, they, they just can't make their times match up. So, and oftentimes too, some of the context is a little bit different because it's more academic based. So the idea with the digital tool crib is to offer some sort of PD development that's just in time learning for the technical instruction at the college. Now, this is we're talking in the context of Medicine Hat College, of course, but this really could apply to almost any type of trades instruction out there. So it's not just for Medicine Hat College. Uh, every once a month, we'll be kind of coming at us with a topic. We might have some guests along the way, but basically Jason and I will be discussing some interesting discussions that we've had before and things that are kind of burning a, a hole in our mind anyways. So Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about assessment and assessment in the trades. And so, yeah, that's where we're going with it. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. Before we get to assessment in the trades, though, I want to talk I want to talk about this because and, and this will be one of our future episodes where we talk about some of the challenges in providing educational development or some of the challenges in providing professional development to trades instructors. And one of the ones you mentioned is the number of hours that trades instructors teach. We, we, you know, the number of times where we can offer professional development opportunities are really small. Mm -hmm. But with trades and with the trades instructors, it's even smaller. Like, you yeah. know, what kind? How many hours? Are, how many hours are they teaching per year? They they're right now at Medicine Hat College. It's the top is seven twenty. So they are in the class a lot of the time. So they're generally, they, when I see my instructors get here, they're here at 7.30, well, before that really, seven. They're in the classrooms from 7.30 till about three every day. And that's why this fills such an important need because the opportunities to provide professional development, educational development, trades instructors are so difficult because mm -hmm. they're just, they're teaching all the time, pretty much from September all the way till the end of June, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. So that's why I think this fills that gap where they can, a trades instructor, you can sit down now afterwards. And I know a lot of my instructors will do that. They'll, they'll read through the articles I send or watch the videos. So this offers them at least some sort of support that they can do on their own time, not necessarily set to a beholden time. Yeah. Thanks. So, and again, before we get to assessment, that's the topic for today, assessment in the trades. But before we get there, we kind of got to get, we got, we got to talk a little bit about the context. And, and I, I was thinking about how to do this. And I've heard this lots of times from uh, many trade students, and I've even heard it from trades instructors a little bit that many of them have a history of negative experiences with the school system. And so some of their negative experiences with the school system come from assessments and assessments, you know, the traditional assessments, they, they get told that they're not smart, that they're not successful students. And so how, how do instructors reverse that narrative so that students can feel confidence that they can finally succeed in a trades environment as they approach as they approach uh, school again with these negative histories, facing some of the same kinds of traditional assessments that have worked against them in the past. Yeah, that's such a great question, Jason. Um, that's so. I, I come from my background is I taught in the electrical trade for twelve years, and I found that especially when I was teaching the the earlier levels. 
that I would get a lot of students coming in with that negative kind of feeling towards school. And they would, a lot of them had been kind of pushed into the system and told, you know, you're not going to do well in academics. So obviously trades for you. But then they would come into the trades and discover that trades is very math focused, especially in the first couple of years. And then they would just start panicking because math was never their strong suit. And of course, we assess math like we assess everything through like multiple choice tests and show your work. And so there's a lot of that anxiety that goes along with it. So as an instructor, I would find that my first few weeks would be being the biggest fan I could for my, my students. So what I would do is I would let them know right off the hop on first day orientation is let them know, okay, just so you know, a test is just that. It's just a test. It's a way that we assess learning. Now, if you do well on a test, what that tells me is that you did well on a test. It doesn't tell me anything about who you are as a person, as a tradesperson, any of that. Uh, if you do poorly on a test, it tells me you had a bad day. So and we can always work something around that. And so we really need to be in our students' corners. And that's that's the thing. I think a lot of us get, went through trade. I know I went through trade school where a lot of our instructors were just, if you don't pass the test, that, that it's so too bad, so sad. And um, the ones that I really connected with, the instructors I connected with, were the ones who would spend the time just cheering us on and taking the time and letting us know that they were there for them. And and almost not downplaying the exam, but helping us realize that at the end of the day, as long as we pass, quote unquote, the test, that's that's not going to make you a better tradesperson. And that it's it's not just the, just kind of relieving anxiety about it, I guess, and not focusing, saying, OK, it's you need to know this for the test, because a lot of our students will come in, and they'll be like, well, is this on the test? And we'd be spending a lot of our time saying, well, not necessarily, but this is what you need to know for industry. And so. A lot of it is just kind of talking the anxiety down a little bit and coaching them on how to, and there's little, like giving them coaching tips on how to do well in a multiple choice test. Now, we could go into, I'm sure we will today, I'm not a big fan of the multiple choice test, especially when it, co it comes to trades education. Um, the way we assess in trades education, I think needs some more thought and rework. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, where is it going at that point? <laughs> I got myself off track. I don't know, but can I, before we get to, we will eventually get to assessment and we're getting close to getting assessment, but I actually want to pause and, and ask you about something you just said, which was, you said that you need to be a fan for your students. Mm -hmm. You need to be a fan for your students. Now, this might be the conception of an instructor, the construct, you know, the conception of a teacher that not everybody resonates with, that that doesn't feel comfortable with. Can you talk a mm -hmm. little bit more about what do you think, what do you, th what do you think it means when you say that an instructor is a fan for their students. So here's the thing is, and I've, I think you and I've had this conversation before when our, when we come from industry. So as an electrician, I came from industry and I step into the classroom. I left industry on a Friday. I step into a classroom on a Monday. I don't have any idea of how to teach aside from the way I've been taught. And so oftentimes our instruction is like you were saying, they come from a, a negative background of instruction. When I talk about being a fan, I'm talking about being like a coach. And so oftentimes, especially in industry, we have this journeyman apprentice kind of relationship. Now, it doesn't matter which era you're from. Some of us had great journeymen that we worked with, some didn't. The great ones were the ones that would come alongside and really work with you and coach you and then celebrate your victories, right? When when you would do well enough on something like I'm not saying that you have to get 100%, but some of the students and it really depended like a student who would do get 65% on a test 
when I knew that they were struggling with it and when they were fighting through the, the challenges, they deserved the same celebration or probably even more so than a student who always aced the tests and got 100%. So just being in their corner, and I'm not saying like you had to have the bells and whistles and lights and pyrotechnics go off in the front of the class in front of everybody, but you need to be relational with your students and get to know them a little bit and, and take them aside and say, hey, you did really well on that. I'm really impressed. Like having those little side conversations. And that's one thing that I think that's important as like when we talked earlier, you talked earlier about flipping the narrative a bit is we need to insert ourselves into their narrative and we don't need to, we are inserted. We're part of their story, whether we realize that or not. And so we need to take some responsibility in that. And so we could be part of their story as being the roadblock, or we could be part of the story as being the inspiration. And to be that inspiration is not that hard. It's just actually caring about people and being relational with them and asking them questions and remembering that, you know, they've got a daughter that was going off to school for the first time and is asking, how did that go? Like those little, those little touch points make a huge difference. And then they start to realize that this person cares about me somewhat. And then they're, they're, the walls go down a bit. Cause like you said, they have these preconceived notions about assessment, which means that they have preconceived notions about instruction. And they, they have this idea of what your instructor is going to be like. If you can show them that you're not like that, the walls come down a bit. And when those walls come down a bit and their comfort levels go down a bit, their learning goes up. And so it's just, it's that bringing down the walls. Yeah, and this seems like it's a really important thing for what we are now going to talk about. I said we were going to talk about, we said that the topic was going to be assessment. But it seems like, you know, if you're a fan for your students and you're trying to reverse this narrative, you're inserted into that narrative, you're breaking that down, you're in their corner. It seems like this is really important because when we talk about assessment, you know, when when a lot of people hear the word assessment, what they hear is marking, mm -hmm. grading, yeah. judgment, judgment, evaluation. And so yeah. assessment can be a barrier for for students that are learning, I think, especially in the in the trades. And I, I think there's two parts of that, you know, is is part of it is the language that we're using assessment, you know, uh, is that the right language? Is there better language? But then the other part of it is is what you were talking about before, which is getting people to believe that they can be successful when they haven't been successful in the past. Mm -hmm. We need to give our students the small wins. And I think the off the right off the beginning, like from the first day forward, like make something easy for them that they can bring to you and show you and that you can celebrate as opposed to having this, they go through a, a week of instruction and then a summative exam at the end of it. You're setting them up for failure. You need to have touch points along the way. So there's little tips, like I would do a little morning quiz and it would be worth no points, just 10 questions, they would go through it and then we would kind of mark it together. And when I would start asking questions and they would start answering it, then you're like, that's, yeah, listen to what he's saying. He gets it, like he knows things about stuff and just little talks like that really make a big difference. So yeah, it just, we need, when I, I'm going back again to that whole being uh, like, how do we change, flip that narrative? We need to flip the whole narrative of assessment as well. And I think that's, it's so easy for us to just have a test that gets marked, right? And that's, especially as an instructor, honestly, the easiest thing you can do is throw out a multiple choice test because now with all our learning management systems, they mark them for us. And for a lot of our instructors, that's the worst part of the job is marking the tests. So I think by bringing in more, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this, authentic assessments, we can start having more of a relational type of assessment and we can work with our students in assessing their own work, which is a whole other topic that we'll, I'm sure, chase down. Yeah, because there's two things there, and we'll take them, I think, in turn. The first is 
minor things? You know, what are things that you can do to improve just the day to day things? So, you know, quizzes and what we what we know from quizzes, that testing effect that that starts to build muscles for mm -hmm. students like I'm yeah. just I'm going to get tested every day that recall. I'm just going to get used to it. It's like working out every day. Right. Yeah. So we do that. But then the other thing that you're talking about is beyond just making minor improvements to the way we teach some kinds of structural changes like really rethinking assessment, I think is how you said it. Mm -hmm. Because assessment's been called the heart of the student experience and students do what's rewarded. We, we've also heard people say, don't teach to the test, don't teach mm -hmm. to the test, but you already mentioned some of the big high stakes summative exams that exist in trades. And so to be allowed to be a professional practitioner, you have to pass a high stakes summative exam. So you've got to yep. teach to the test yep. in, in, in some way. So, before we start talking about the structural changes, you know, what are some of the things that you would you would recommend? What are some of the strategies that you'd recommend to to help to help teach to the test for trades instructors to get them to get them ready for those exams? Oh, and when you say like I've had this conversation so many the the whole don't teach to the test, I push back hard on that. We are not only training our students as trades instructors in their trade, we're training them how to pass their interprovincial exam which is a test so we need to coach them on how to do that how we can possibly do that is like you were saying like i would show these daily quizzes well these daily quizzes would be in a format that would show up on an exam i'm not saying that's exact questions i'm not saying i'm using the exact numbers the exact words but very similar structures so it's something that they've seen before so when they open the exam it's very similar to what they've already seen and i know it's visually it's the same way that they see it and it's it's the little things like even the drawings and, and the way you've got the font laid out and the font type. If it looks very similar to what they are going to experience in the test, it relieves some of the anxiety because what will happen is some of these visual learners, when they go at it, it'll look completely different to them, even though it might if you have and it's I know it sounds silly, but if you've got it in Times New Roman font, but then you go with a Calibre font in the other thing for some people, that is a touch point that just sets them off. So having them, like you said, you have them practice in a situation or in an environment that is similar to these summative tests that they're going to have to take, then you're getting them used to it and coached to it. And when you start going to the upper levels, I know there's some instructors who will write practice exams that look eerily like an IP exam would look. Now, again, not the same questions, but in the same format and all that sort of thing. So it gets them, again, we're not, we are teaching to the test. We need to face the fact that we, we need to almost embrace that, that we are preparing them to write these tests and showing them how to, to work their way through it. Same thing with like how to go through, how to write a test. How are, I always tell my students, you always go through, you answer the ones you can answer right away, then go through the ones that you know you're going to have to work a little bit on, and then you can get stuck on the challenging ones. It's little tips like that, like coaching our students on how to write tests is imperative, especially in the trades, only because there's such a strong element for that summative exam. Now, I've had discussions where I think that maybe we need to revisit the way that that kind of assessment is for trades, but it is what it is right now so we need to address the situation and kind of work towards a better future so within the structure right now give them lots of opportunities to practice mm -hmm. yes and but then you know what are some what are some of the alternatives because this is the other thing that i've heard from a lot of trades people like yeah we definitely have to make sure that they pass their their provincial tests like not mm -hmm. only is that good for them not only is it good for the student but it's good for the college because that's one of the things that the, the that people look at. Like, what's your yep. provincial pass rate? This is how yep. we get judged as well. So yep. we want the students to pass because that's good for them. But we're getting we're getting graded as well. 
Yep. So that's that part of it. And then the other part of it is that when I talk to when I talk to a lot of the trade instructors, so yeah, we want them to pass, we want them to be successful, but we want them to be good on the job site. Mm-hmm. We want them to be good on the job site. And there's so there's this mentoring craftsman component, you know. Yes. So what other what other formative assessment strategies have you seen instructors use in trades that within the structure that we have, this limiting structure, where mm-hmm. people can be creative and and use assessment in other ways to help to help people become good professionals. Well, that's and and good people, period. And that's we have a discussion a lot with our trades instructors here at MHC. That that's one thing I really appreciate about our instructors is they really they're here to train our students to be not just better welders and plumbers and electricians. They're trying to make them be better people. So what we need to do is set up situations that can help train them. And what you can do is we realize that we're sending them out into industry, and oftentimes we say. Okay, they're going to get the theory here and industry can sort out all that other stuff, but it doesn't always work that way. So what we need to do is offer them situations here at the colleges that can set up for that. So some examples of things I've seen are instead of having a classroom where you've got 16, 12, 16 students sitting in rows like we traditional school is, break them into pods. And so you'd have them into groups of four. And then what these pods will do is they'll work together on projects and Sometimes they'll do like some things I've seen or have heard instructors do is they'll have like group quizzes. So there'll be a quiz, they each have their own quiz, but they're actually, and this is completely crazy, but maybe we let them talk to each other because weird enough, when they're out in industry, you're not in a silo by yourself. If you need to work and find out a, a problem from somebody else, you're going to ask them. So getting them into these situations where, yes, it's a summative exam, but if they can work together and, and show each other how they get it, and the first time I ever tried this, I had an instructor tell me about it. And I thought, well, it feels kind of weird, but I'll try it. I worried that you would get the strong student answering all the questions and then everybody else would copy from them. It never happened. Not one of the groups I've ever, and I embraced that, that method. Not one group would ever do that. The ones that couldn't get it, those strong ones would actually come alongside and coach. So you're setting up situations where you've got peer coaching going on. And one of the things I found through that whole thing was that the best teacher in the room was never me and it was never the instructor. The best teacher in the room is always going to be another student. And so we've got to create these situations where those students can rise above and shine. So having these, like getting them into group projects and working in that kind of situation. And I mean, we'll t- I, I've got some other stories that I'll share later on, but that gives us the opportunity for them to actually be like, they can learn how to work in a group. They can learn how to collaborate. They can learn how to peer assess. These are all skills that they're going to be taking out into the field. Now, Oftentimes when we get out the field, you might have old school where peer assessment is just do what I say and I don't care if you've got a a better answer, but we're also trying to train our apprentices to get out there and change industry as well. So we can get these students out there that are working under this peer assessment, self-assessment, self-reflection, like that's in a whole other area. If we can get our students reflecting on their work, we're just going to get better students and better people out there. Thank you. So what you're describing, it it sounds to me is something that the University of British Columbia has made kind of famous, the two-stage exam, where the student takes the exam by themselves, mm-hmm. independently, and then they come together as small groups, and they go through the exam together, and they look for areas, and they explain, why did you choose A for that question? And then on question two, student A has, you know, they've chosen the first, you know, and they've all chosen different answers, and then all of a sudden yep. they have to come to agreement, and then they hand them in together. And, and what they've shown is that yeah, that those opportunities, those those small opportunities for peer instruction, really have have a huge impact for students. 
Well, and why should assessment just be that? Why should assessment just be assessment? Why can't we use assessment as a learning tool? And we had learned the best from our failures. So why not have the situations like you said? I love that two-stage process. So you have them right, then they come together, and then they can see where they went wrong, and they can learn from their mistakes. Because how often do our students write tests, and sometimes they never even get to see them again? They just know that they get their mark. Well, how does that help them? It helps us because we, we can say, well, you know, we've assessed their learning, but we have an opportunity here with this formative and summative assessments to use assessment as a teaching and learning tool. And I think there's a lot of things being left on the table by not embracing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you do? Like, what if you, if you could, so that we talked about, you know, some small things that we can do to improve them. So making sure students have as authentic an experience in preparation for the high stakes exam, you know, regular practice, you know, getting those getting those muscles ready for the mm -hmm. for the high stakes exam, doing some other things like, you know, implementing two stage exams so that students can learn from their mistakes so they don't just hand in the test and they got mm -hmm. a 65. OK, great. But I don't really yeah. know what 65 I got right. I don't know what 35 percent I got wrong. Let's work together to do these micro teaching. So that's within the system. Those are things that we can do to make it better. But but how would you like if you could, Chad, redevelop the structure so that it was more so so that instead of assessment of learning, we were doing assessment as learning mm -hmm. in the trades. What do you think that would look like? Uh, that, I mean, if you're asking me to open up my magic box and if I could do anything, I mean, I've experimented a little bit with this and it it worked out. It was actually the basis of my thesis was instead of having our students like read from textbooks and we we provide the resources to them, having our students create their own resources. And so what I mean by that is I did a project where, well, many projects now, where I would have the students, I would create PowerPoint slide decks. And so, but these PowerPoint slide decks had absolutely nothing on them but headings. So it's for a unit. So let's say it was magnetism. Well, the, they would have a slide deck that says, okay, magnetism, and then a slide that says uh, fundamentals of magnetism, another slide that says characteristics of magnets, another slide that says electromagnetism. And I would put them into groups of four. And I'd say, okay, it is up to you to figure out what you want to put under those headings. I said, if you find some great information, get it in there, put it into your words. I said, use, think of it as this, you are going to be using this in your next year as a resource. Can you understand it? And so these students would start, you know, they'd, they'd push back like, how much information do we need? I say, well, how much information do you want to put in? And that what would, it would do, Jason, is by having them in these groups of four, I could go around, instead of preaching to 16 students, I could have conversations with groups of four at a time saying, okay, this is why I think this is important. And I have a discussion with them. And then the next group would ask me, well, what about this? So I'd go talk to them. And we have these discussions. So by the end of it, they would have created this, we, I called it their own online textbook. And so, and I also told them that I wanted them to make sure that they threw in questions there as well, because those questions I would take and I would actually throw into their summative assessment. Then what I would do, so they would create these amazing things. And some of the books that they've, they've written, I'll have to show you sometime, they, it is, they're far beyond what a textbook can do. And so they were beautiful. I made sure that they followed citations, like they, everything was good, Creative Commons licensed pictures, everything was amazing. Um, then I, I, the problem is like, how do we assess that, which is what we're talking about right now. So what I would do is I created this Google form where the students had to assess each other. So they had to go through and they had to assess themselves first off. So we, I spent a lot of time talking about self-reflection and going through that. Then they would have to assess all their other group members. Now, when we first started, what would happen is they would 
invariably mark themselves probably about 10% lower than what I would normally give them when they're doing their own self-assessment. And then funny enough, all their, their mates would get 100%. Every, they would always give them like the higher marks, which is good. I always knew that it would happen. So then the next discussion was, you're not helping your friends by doing that because there are obviously problems in that. You're going to find, I said, I'm on the board making mistakes all the time that you guys are calling me on. Do that with your friends as well. This is, it's, it's this, we need to learn how to be constructively criticized, like constructively criticize each other's work, especially when you get out into industry because you're going to see the work they're doing. You're going to want to bring attention to it, but you don't want to be a jerk about it. So have those discussions. And then eventually you, I'd say, okay, I, I need to see that you know, nobody gets hundred percent. So you need to start being more critical. And then by the end of it, by the end of the, my time with these students, when they were in shop and labs and stuff like that, and I would have them assess it was amazing the discussions they'd have. Like you'd hear the people that would never say boo to each other saying that, you know, that looks really good, but have you thought about maybe doing it this way or that way? And, oh, I never thought about that. Like these students now assessing, having the skills to actually know how to communicate that. Cause that's the thing. Like we, we might be able to call out what somebody's done wrong. And then you have the, some people that are like, oh, you idiot, you did it that way. And that's very typically a trades way. Right. But to learn how to actually say, Hey, can you come here for a second? I want to show you how to do this offset or had you considered this offset in a different way? So it's those like, again, understanding that subject matter is important, but subject matter for our students is also, they can find a lot of it on their compute pocket computer phones, right? So why not take this time and start focusing a little more on the essential skills as well? So that's what I'd love to have them learning how to like creating situations where they could collaborate more. And, and then in all this, we can still throw in the subject matter, right? But we can, maybe the focus should be more on making better people with the subject matter thrown in instead of having the subject matter be the number one. And then sometimes depending on the instructor, you may be, end up a better person. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really powerful vision for the future because, um, you know, what you're talking about is students giving feedback in a really tactful manner. And so yeah. when they're, they're learning some of those essential community, those essential skills that you're talking about, like communication, which is outlined yeah. in the Alberta jobs report from September 2020 is like, this is some one of the things that we really need to focus on a little bit more. And then also in building their own resources and building their own books, there's visual literacy built into that. Yeah. So you're actually embedding some some really new uh, some new things that you're, you know, that aren't covered as part of the official curriculum, but they become parts of the other critic, you know, other other curriculum. Mm -hmm. One of one of the one of the things I think is um, really neat about that is, you know, my favorite quote about pedagogy is, you know, what's the best form of teaching? Well, the best form of teaching is it depends, right? It really yeah. depends on the discipline. It depends on the maturity of the students. It depends on, but the next best answer is students teaching students. Yeah. And, and I really do think that there, there's so much there. Now, not everybody agrees with that because some people would say, well, peer assessment, you mentioned peer assessment. Well, that's just the, that's just the blind leading the blind. And part of that is the blind leading the blind because as you mentioned, sometimes peers are really soft on one another. Yeah. You know, they're, they're uh, Canadians especially have been called <laughs> pathologically polite. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. We're known for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very, very difficult to do. But the other thing that you mentioned is self-reflection. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit. And, and cause self-assessment is, uh, you know, very important, mm -hmm. but it seems like it's completely the opposite of the way trades is designed because of the high stakes assessment, but it also seems like, how does it, cause it doesn't always seem like it's going to, it's going to mesh well with, with uh, the discipline of trades, like when is someone going to self-reflect? You know, you can you can imagine how this might be in 
social work, for example, or child and youth care counseling. Those are disciplines that lend themselves to, or, or even education. At the end of the day, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to have some time thinking about, you know, what, what took place today. But in automotive service technician or carpentry, for example, they, they don't, that, that self-reflection part doesn't seem to lend itself so well. Can, so can you talk a little bit about what, what you think self, self-assessment or self-reflection should look like uh, in the trades or what it does look like? Well, so I don't think it officially looks like anything. I think you find we have, you'll find pockets of instructors that, that focus on that. I think we have an example of that here at MHC. Um, but it, it's so important. Like I think reflection and self-reflection is so important because of the metacognition part. Like our, we need to teach our students how to recognize when they're learning things and how best they learn things because if I have a classroom of 12 automotive service technicians, I've got a classroom of 12 different styles of learning. And so they need to figure out how best they learn. I can't. I can't crack open their head and get in there as an instructor. If we can start providing them opportunities where they can actually start to understand themselves and how they best learn. I'm not saying that we are psychologists and we're going to be able to do that to the this huge level, but we do need to have them trying to kind of thinking beyond just cramming information in their head, right? Like it goes back to the the whole like Paulo Freire's talking about the whole banking model of education and how we are always dumping, depositing information into our students. It doesn't work that like that anymore. And especially anymore, like there's, there's distractions going on. And I don't know if some might even argue that it did it ever. But if we could have our students learning to kind of assess themselves, putting them, putting them into situations where they figure out how best they learn or in what situations they learn. I'm not saying that some are visual, like I know that's been debunked, the visual, the you know, the auditory, but how to create their own alchemy of, of learning, like that metacognition part. Then I think we give them a leg up because then they understand, okay, well, some of these concepts, like I, I, if I watch this YouTube video over and over, I'm going to get it. Or if some of them just love to read. And like I've had students that love to read the text and hate watching the videos. So they just want me to point them in what some resources that they could read or I teach them how to look it up themselves or some love the idea of reading, but can't, they, they have some issues with actually reading. So maybe audio versions where they can find that sort of thing, but knowing that about themselves and they wouldn't know that about themselves because oftentimes trades has always been kind of looked at as the, the consolation prize. You know, you didn't quite make it an academic. So here's trades because all it is is hands-on and all it is is just applied, but it's not. And, that's the thing that I think we're starting to see now, and I think Alberta's starting to get now, is there's more of a parity between vocational education and academic education. And we've, we're also seeing a lot of people coming in, into the trades as a second career. I've seen, in my 12 years of teaching, I would start seeing more and more students who had bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, other come from other backgrounds, because they're starting to realize that trades is kind of, I jokingly always say, it was like the best kept secret in Canada, and now the secret's out. Right. And so we we need to kind of get that out there. So, yeah, I know it, it's hard to, to kind of capture in that one moment exactly why I think reflection is important. But I just think that we need certainly to teach start needing to ah, we are starting to need to think about trades education in the way that we think about other education is no longer a consolation prize. We need to make these better people. They need to learn how to reflect and they need to learn how to learn about how they learn. Yeah. More full human beings. Yes. And I think that this idea of self-reflection really connects us with what we started to talk about with those negative stories. If students can find out that 
and discover like I'm capable. I've got strengths. I, mm-hmm. I here's an episode where I've actually, you know, mastered a content or, you know, mastered a piece of content or mastered a competency. That's that's part of the the changing the narrative yes. uh, that, that many of our many of our trades instructors and many of our trade students have had. Mm-hmm. We were Chad, we were striving to keep the tool crib at about 28 minutes an episode. We're, we're well beyond that. <laughs> I look forward to the next episode of the tool crib. And I think what we've done here is just kind of outlined some trailheads that future episodes are going to delve into much more deeply. Definitely. And I think, Jason, I would really encourage people as they listen and watch however you're consuming this just reach out to us. Like you can reach out to yourself through the site um, website, or you can reach out to me at, you can, we're pretty accessible and we'd love to talk to more about this. If there's something that people would like us to talk about, or they want to hop on and talk to something cool that they've done, please, by all means, let us know. And we will, uh, we'll make the time. Yeah, absolutely. Chad, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to the next episode of the tool crew. Thanks Jason. You too. I'm very, very excited about this. Yeah.